Hi, I want to welcome you to my podcast. My name is Corey Woods, and you are listening to Be a Woman and Not a Weak Ass Bitch. And on this podcast, we are going to talk about how women are powerful and incredible beings. And it's time to seriously kick some stereotypes, expectations, conditioning, and limitations to the curb. On this show, we are going to be diving deep into the discussions that celebrate female strength, resilience, and the fierce determination that has been a driving force throughout history. We will tackle tough topics and share inspiring stories. And I want to be able to provide you with tools and mindset shifts that you need in order to embrace your inner warrior. Thank you for joining. Welcome to today's podcast. I want to welcome back one of my favorite co-hosts, Anita Bremer. And today we're going to be talking about why love is needed or as the title of the podcast is more than love is needed. Welcome, Miss Danita. How are you? I'm so good. Thanks for having me again. I know it's, it's actually fun having these discussions. I feel like we can go in so many different directions around all of the topics we choose. And I love having you here because of the incredible insight that you can provide for everyone that is listening, especially around this topic today, because one thing that I've noticed in the self-help world is that we talk about like unconditional love. We talk about um, what that looks like, what that feels like. But today, the topic about why more than love is needed, I want to introduce it around this idea of attunement. And I want to speak directly to what this is and, and how would we, let's just start the conversation about like, how would you define attunement? Let's just jump right in. Uh, I think attunement is when we truly see someone and we respond to what we see, right? We can love people. We can feel positively, but this speaks a little bit to the idea of love languages and how there's often a mismatch. If my love language is acts of service and yours is physical touch Uh and I don't ever touch you, right? Right. Then I'm not attuned to you. Okay. Right. So it's not that I have to love you in the way that you quote unquote need to be loved, but it's, it's this idea that we're, we're actually seeing people we're we're noticing their needs and their desires and, and we're responding. So it's, it's really kind of a co-creative type of idea, right? It's, I mean, I guess you can be attuned to, to your own needs, but in that way, you're kind of thinking of yourself as two people, right? So typically it's like a relationship is where we notice attunement and it's not just feeling good. It's also responding, reacting in an appropriate way to the other person. Yes. And I, I love that. And I want to just kind of share a little bit of a personal experience and why we're even bringing this topic to Uh, this podcast is because one thing that I've noticed since I've been divorced is in the dating world, right? And this, this, this word love is just thrown away. Just like, it's not, I shouldn't say thrown away. It's thrown around, right? Um, I've said this before that when I went through my divorce, my heart blew wide open. And that was very surprising to me because I realized like how easy it is to love, but like this whole idea of attunement and what you're saying is, is, uh, the response, 
like to another person, the co-creative experience within the relationship. And you said four very interesting facts because now that I'm in this dating world, okay, I want to come back to this really quick. Now that I'm in the dating world, I'm like, wow, it's actually really easy to love, but that's not what I want. I want this, what you, we're talking about today, like this piece to the relationship you mentioned four different things as a way to kind of describe what attunement is. You mentioned that you see, you notice, you respond, and you co-create. That's mm-hmm. kind of a perfect way of describing it, I think. Yeah. Do you have anything to add to that? Or No, I think that's really good. It's a really good summary. The one thing that just occurred to me is that I think we see how this works in real life the best between a mother and a baby. Okay. So I I want to hear so much about this. What do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) Well, because we know we inherently understand both logically and in this sort of body embodiment way that babies are helpless. They can't take care of their needs. They have a lot of needs, right? And so theoretically, if we're being good mothers, we're anticipating our baby's needs. We're learning their cues. We're like, oh, this is how they cry when they're hungry. This is how they cry when they have a dirty diaper, right? And it's this baby has these cues, these cries, these, you mm. know, usually it's like a verbal right. cue. And then mom knows, oh, this is what this means. Or even like sometimes before the baby cries or vocalizes it all, just how they look or how they're wiggling their body or something. It's like, oh, I know my baby. Yeah. That is this idea of I am attuned to this other human in this really deep way. They don't have to tell me. I know what's happening with them. I know that they're uncomfortable. Right. And so I think that that's like the, just the clearest way to understand attunement, because once we get into adulthood or, you know, older than a baby, there's a lot of different factors that are coming to play. Whereas with an infant, it's just their needs and they cry and that's what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't say like, oh, you're triggering me or <laughs> I can't handle this or whatever. Right. We're just right. like, oh, yeah, that's what a baby does. And then our job is to be attuned to their needs. Yes. Okay. As simple as that sounds, that's sometimes very hard for mothers. Like I can even remember my firstborn and my experience and understanding attunement, let's just say in my relationship with him and then babies to follow, right? Because I started to understand a little bit more how babies worked. And my first one though, I think that experience as a new mom also, and then I had postpartum depression, like really bad attunement was actually pretty challenging. Yeah. I think it's hard to be attuned when we have really big needs, right? So you're talking about postpartum depression. That means that this little baby of yours had needs and also you had needs. Mm -hmm. And so if your needs are so large that you have to focus on your needs, you're not going to be able to be attuned to that baby, right? Oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. My brain is going in five different directions about this, just in other types of relationships rather than just the parent and the child relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's this, I just brought that up because I think it's such a clear way to see how we do attunement and how it's very intuitive to us. Um, But there is this element of capacity, right? We can't always attune to other people if our capacity is low, if we're the ones that need attuning to, 
right? Mm. And sometimes that's the case because we're all humans and we're all dynamic and we're all learning and living. And this is where it gets really complicated to be a human in relationship. Yeah, I can totally see that, Uh, especially kind of looking back at just different times and different experiences in my life where I felt like I didn't have the capacity. That's such an interesting word in relation to attunement, but I didn't have um, the capacity because my own needs weren't being met. That ha- that's happened at like a lot of different seasons in my life and through a lot of different experiences as well. Has that happened for you? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I think we always, as humans, we bump into situations where our needs aren't being met. Right. And this mm-hmm. is especially true as like infants, toddlers, young children, because we we don't have the ability to meet our own needs. Like, yeah, it's not like a toddler can go feed themselves very well. Right? <laughs> right. It, it's a little bit more complicated when we when we become more independent mm-hmm. and have more autonomy, because then it's like, well, yes, I can meet my own me- needs, but I want you to do it. I want that feeling of like, you see me, you hear me, you feel right. me. Right. Right. So I think we all come up against some situations, some areas of our life when we don't have our needs met or they're not seen. And we then go to a way to cope with that. Right. Right. For some of us, perfectionism is a way to cope with, I have needs, but the signal I get from the people around me is that they're not valid or, you know, you, you can't take care of them. Maybe your capacity is such that you can't take care of them. So I have to take care of them. So then I become the keeper of my own needs and I become perfectionistic. Right. We also see this in like hyper-independence, similar situation, or then codependency where you have to take care of all of my needs. I can't do it. And if you don't do it, then I'm going to die. Yeah. And did you say, you said codependency and what did you say before that? Hyper? Hyper independence. Hyper independence. And what about hyper vigilance? Do you think that would kind of be a coping mechanism as well? Yeah, I could see how it might um, be a coping mechanism. Hyper vigilance usually comes when we feel that there is a danger at any moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's because that's what I was thinking. Like some of my... I don't, maybe you're right. Cause now my brain is spinning a little bit, but when I think about coping, when I don't, uh, when my needs are not being met, I often go into hypervigilance. Like I'm a- almost on edge all the time. What needs to be happening? What, where are we going? What are we doing? What's the schedule? Like it, it almost, it feels very jumpy. And maybe that's a subset of hyper independence of like, I have to take care of all of my needs. Yes, The whole world feels dangerous and I have to take some kind of action. And so I have to be on edge. I have to be ready, that kind of thing. Um, I could see how it would be, it would happen more with people who are in that hyper-independence. Like nobody around me is taking care of my needs. So I have to be the one to do it. That's how I learn to meet my needs. Oh my gosh, that is so beautifully said. Because I think about all of these times where I feel um, the hyper independence and like, where did that come from? How did that even start? You know, from my experience, it makes sense. Like it started very early, perhaps in childhood. If 
let's just say I became hyper independent as a child. If we can speak to the parent and child relationship, it do you think it had anything to do with my ability as a child? Like, because maybe my parents weren't attuned to me. I mean, do you want to maybe speak to that for a minute? Yeah. I think that's usually how it starts is even before we can remember, before we can verbalize in infancy and toddlerhood, if, for example, just a really simple example, Mm -hmm. if we're left in our crib to cry, right? We wake up from a nap and we cry and cry and cry and nobody comes. Right. We learn, we eventually learn that it doesn't work to cry. Yeah. And so we be quiet again, or the baby falls back asleep, right? It's almost like it's too much for their nervous system to have this need. Maybe their diaper is wet or dirty. They have this need. It feels really uncomfortable. They cry. They they give a cue, like who's coming to help me. <laughs> and when that help doesn't come, it's too much, right? right? And so they shut down. So either they fall back asleep or they just get quiet maybe, mm-hmm. right? And it, through trial and error, they start learning. The infant starts learning what actually works. Yes. Some babies will just cry for hours because that's what works. Some babies will get quiet. It just depends on each of our nervous systems and what becomes the most effective way to approach not having our needs met. Hey, thank you for sharing that because I think about my five kids often and with my first, I used the cried out method. I remember using the cried out method. I remember I did so many things so different with my first than I did with my other four and just noticing the different um, needs that they have, their different response system. I always wonder, like, I always, I always wonder, you know, <laughs> he is, my son is my oldest too. And he was the only one fed like soy formula too, as well. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, did I just like, ruin his hormones, right? I go into all of these different spaces. I'm not beating myself up where I, when I say this, but you definitely learn a lot like through each kid and through each experience and you're supposed to learn, right? You're not supposed to have all the answers right away, but yeah, the cried out method did not work. That kid refused to go to sleep. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and if you think about it in the seventies and eighties, we have a whole generation of kids whose doctors told mamas, just put them in the crib and let them cry. I know. Right. Look at where we're at. <laughs> yeah. Where at. Now we have a whole bunch of 40 <laughs> and 50 year olds who are like dealing with their trauma. I know me being one of them, me being one of them. It's, yeah. it's, and I'm so glad you brought that up too, because I want to kind of shift into like this attunement piece as an adult, like within relationships that we have with each other, even, even as an adult and being attuned to, let's just say friendships or romantic partnerships or the, your spouse, which is, might be the same thing for some people or, uh, your business relations, right? Like I want to talk about attunement and maybe other areas of our lives, other relationships in our lives as adults. You want to speak to that for us? Sure. I don't think it's much different. I think I think we have to be careful to kind of tease apart where I end and you start. Okay. Right. Because you start when, when we're talking about two adults say, and we're in relationship, we're still, so my job as a coach is still to be attuned to you as the client. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I start thinking like, oh no, 
this client is not getting the results they want. And that means I'm a bad coach, right? As soon as we start getting into the kind of the mind drama about things, then the water gets muddy, right? We're no longer like fully present and attuned to them. We're now thinking about how it affects us and what it means about us. Mm -hmm. So that's the layer that I think it's makes it more complicated. We can still watch for facial expressions and body language and tone of voice and prosody. Like that's like a voice thing, right? It's like how your voice sounds. We do it actually naturally and normally. It's just that we also, it's not as easy to attribute it just to, oh, this is your need. Right. Right. Cause there's so much more going on. Like what are their desires? What's their background and their history? And right. Like, are are they they feeling cranky today? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What are they feeling? And so we're still attuned. It's just the, like the justification or the reason why with a baby, it's super clear, right? Well, they have some kind of need that's not being met. Let's find out what it is with adults. It's not quite as cut and dried that way. It's not. And also they attempt to hide their cues. Kids don't generally hide their cues unless they grow up in a really unsafe environment, but adults do. Right. And I think some of that just comes down to just the conditioning that we have. Yeah. We don't, and we don't maybe know another way. And attunement is actually not really talked a lot about in the self-help world. I rarely hear about it. And when they're, when they talk about healing, you know, I, I hear a lot of attunement discussed perhaps in when we're discussing like attachment styles, right. Or, uh, that's kind of where I hear that word being discussed, but it's not, Oh, there's so much, there's so many different directions we can go with this, but as adults, I want to go back to what you were saying is we tend to hide what we need and what we want. Yeah. And I, and I honestly think that those are attachment wounds that happen. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I just think we have a lot of judgments about different emotions, about different uh-huh. needs. Um, my husband, for example, he has a really high need for touch. And I don't just mean like sexual touch, but I know just from being married to him and with him for 25 years that when he starts talking about his neck and his back hurting, it's like a little ding, 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 ding to yes. me that. I haven't touched him enough or he hasn't been touched enough. It doesn't necessarily have to be me. Yeah. But I did this experiment without telling him where he was talking about this. And he was like, oh, my neck and my back hurt. And I went, "Hmm, yeah, I haven't touched him in in the past few days. We've just been really busy, whatever. And so I went and like, I massaged his back and he loves it when I like touch his head and I made Mm -hmm. sure to like hold his hand, like for like a day or two, I was just like really focused on touching him. And wouldn't you know it, his back pain went away. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't even have to tell you what he needed because you knew. Right. And, and this is part of like the person that I want to be in the world. I'm a coach. I'm a mom. I want to be attuned to other people. I like that. I like being able to read people. I I'm, I'm a pretty intuitive person, but even strangers, I, yeah. it's sort of like a, just like a fun thing for me to sort of watch interactions of strangers and be like, yeah, I bet this, or, you know, just kind Same. of 
fill in the blanks. I like to be attuned. It's, it's like a hobby to me. I, I yeah. wonder like how good, how, how close am I? Right? right. Am I right? Am I wrong? And so that's partly because of me, but I will say with my husband, I am probably the least attuned. And I think the reason for this is because I see him as my primary need filler. Uh huh. Right. So I see him less as a, uh, like kind of like a child. It doesn't have to be a child, but my job with him is less filling his needs. And I at least think of him as more of like, he's there to fill my needs, which maybe is selfish of me, but that's, I'm just telling the truth. That's just how I think of our relationship. So when you say, um, I love when you say this is just who I want to be in the world. I want to be attuned to the needs of other people. Is it harder for you to be, to do that, to be that when your needs are not being met? Yes, for sure. And, and what would be indicators for yourself? Like, we're just going to use you as a good example here. Cause I love it. What would be indicators for you that maybe your needs aren't being met? Um, probably I feel really tired and sluggish. Mm-hmm. That's generally where my body and my system go is go to kind of a shutdown. It's just like, Oh, I'm just so sluggish today. I'm really tired. And I've done a lot of work around tired. Right. And so I just kind of know that sometimes I'm just legitimately tired. I woke up early. I did a lot of things. (laughs) I'm like physically tired, but other times I'm like, I really don't feel like I should be tired, should be in quotes, like in terms of like the physical output that I did that day. Yeah. And so then that's when I start thinking about, am I stressed? Am I overwhelmed? Mm -hmm. Right. When I like start fantasizing about when can I pick up my book? When can I get out of this office or out of the kitchen? I just want to go read. That's when I know that I need to rest and disconnect and kind of get my own needs met. Yeah. And I will say I'm pretty terrible at meeting my own needs. I'm, I'm getting better at it, but, um, I don't feed myself very well. Like it's four o'clock here about a half an hour ago. I ran downstairs, heated up some leftovers and shoveled them into my face. It was like three 30 yeah. and I had eaten breakfast at like nine. Yeah. I've I'm not very thing. good at like, Oh, I'm feeling hungry. Let me take a break and go feed myself. I tend yes. to push through and work more and, or even just like scroll on my phone. I'd rather scroll on my phone than feed myself because feeding myself takes energy. <laughs> It takes so much energy, at least healthy in the way that you want to feed yourself. That's what I think of too. It's like, it's almost hard to take care of your basic needs. I I feel like for me, I just forget to brush my teeth. Right. And I don't judge myself on that. Or maybe I forget to drink water. Maybe a big sign for myself uh, when I feel like my needs aren't being met. It's like, I'm disconnected from the people that I love the most it's almost harder to be around them. I mean, my kids, yes, but kids come with a lot of, what is it? I'm always, I mean, my nervous system is always on when I'm around because I have five young kids, right? So it's it's more than that though. I feel very disconnected just in general from people that matter to me. Mm-hmm. That to me would be a sign at least. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that could definitely be a sign because one of the things, if you're not being attuned to, if your needs aren't being met is to withdraw, mm-hmm. right? Withdraw, disconnect, conserve energy. 
I think that's right? a very natural and normal coping mechanism. Yeah, I think so too. And I'm learning that a little bit about myself. Um, and I've had to be very, very kind and gentle because the last year and a half, um, just moving through some of the traumas that I've experienced and actually being very intentional with my healing, I've noticed the disconnection. I've noticed the withdrawal. I mean, just two days ago, I think I laid on the couch for like eight hours. I could not move. And my kids were with their dad. And um, it surprised me because I had an entire day planned out to take care, air quote, of my needs, right? I wanted to go hiking and journal writing. And I wanted to do all these special things for me, but literally could not move. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's important to know that it's not about what we plan to do from Mm -hmm. our like logical mind perspective. Like, I Mm -hmm. think I'm going to want to journal. I think I'm going to want to go for a hike. It's really this, what do I feel right now in this moment. Yes. Right. And I think the part of that is that we have judgments, right. About people who stay eight hours on a couch. (laughs) Yeah. Our, our culture is so productivity wired, right. It's Mm -hmm. like your value is derived from how productive you are that we, it's almost like by default, we have these thoughts, these judgments about people who don't do as much people who lay around people who are quote unquote lazy. Right. I personally think lazy is just not a thing. Right. I think nobody is lazy because my definition of lazy is has no desire to work. Yes. And if all, if all of us were completely supported in our needs, the, the organic thing would be to play or to do some form of work. Yeah. Right. To, to create something. So I think lazy is just a red flag that really our needs aren't being met and we can't mm-hmm. meet them. So we just are like, eh, well, guess it's not worth it. I'm just going to lay here. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that because the, this part of business that I'm learning, this productivity, this you know, I check marks. Uh, I have to, how do I keep track? Right. Like I have to keep track on how many people I call and this and this, and this, like how many people do I contact today? Like this very numbers driven, I don't know. I'm just going to call it a feeling. And those times when I feel very lazy, I still have this incredible desire to serve, like to grow a business, to help other people. And it almost sometimes feels impossible. You add the judgment on top of that, like you said, and that's where the suffering comes in. Yeah. That's where, that's where I think for me, the freeze response enters is when I start judging air quotes, like the lazy feeling that I'm having when I just need rest and rest is just as productive. Yeah. We're starting to see some of that more come in where people are really preaching rest is just as valuable as work. You know, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm hoping people are listening and taking it to heart. I think it's really a deep cultural programming that we have. It's difficult for me. Like I, I know based off of experience that when I align myself to what feels right, I'm so much more productive and the things I do actually bear the fruit that I want. Uh And when I just like, Oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. And I'm just like in this frantic check the boxes off. It almost never ends up that way. Right. Right. So even when we know from experience that that's what works, it's still really hard to move in that direction because the culture is moving opposite of us, right? The culture right. is still saying, work harder, do more, 
all of that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and thank you for sharing that. I want to just, as far as attunement and this topic that we're talking about, I want to be able to end on, um, like attunement to yourself. That's kind of what I wanted to touch back on. We talked about when we are not attuned to other people's needs. I mean, how do we attune to our own needs? Um, what are some things that we can do for ourselves? Like, do you have any recommendations on how to find more attunement within ourselves first? I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it really comes down to slowing down. Okay. Slowing down, noticing, feeling. I, I, I really make it my job to notice my own patterns. Yes. I'm like, Oh, I've done this before. Right. And, and it's, it takes work. It is a lot of work, I think, but we can't expect, at least as adults, we can't expect other people to attune to us when we are not attuned to us. Right. It's sort of like, what do you want for dinner? I don't know anything. Yeah. Go out somewhere. Not this. I don't want this. Right. And so we have to notice the cues that we're sending out. And I think, I mean, it's could be as simple as like just slowing down, putting a hand on your heart and saying, Hey, what do you need right now? Yeah. That's my favorite actually. Just asking myself, what do I need? I think you told me that once too, because I kept saying, what do I need to do? And you're like, just ask yourself, what do you need? <laughs> yeah, maybe. And I find that usually the answer to that question is something really simple. Yes. Right? Like I need a drink of water. I need to go pee. I need to not be sitting in this chair, like whatever it is, right? It's Absolutely. usually something very simple. It's not going to be like, you need to plan a trip to Hawaii, right? Yeah. It's, it's in this moment, something doable, something easy, just next step. And if we can get into that space of consistently checking in moment to moment, what are my needs? Mm-hmm. Even if we, if, if honestly, even if we asked ourselves this twice a day, right. That would be a huge jump for most of us. Right. But it's just, I think it's just a practice, a practice of asking what do I need? Or what am I feeling right now? Practice of tuning in, mm-hmm. right? This is like attunement, right? Tuning, like in. tuning in. You can do that with the people you love or the people you're in relationship with. And you can do that with yourself. It's not hard. It just, we have to kind of like push out all the things in our lives. That's why I say, I think the biggest thing is slowing down. Yeah. And I want to add just kind of, cause you touched on this earlier is also being willing to ask for help. One of the things that I've noticed and that you and I have talked about too, is that, um, people don't want to ask for help all the time. Like they, they feel like they have to do all of these things by themselves. And just to speak to this example, um, last week, I just kind of made a list of things that I needed. Like they weren't in the hierarchy of needs. It wasn't like food, clothing, shelter, right? I'm like, no, I really need help with carpooling on this day and this day, right. For my kids, I need help with dinners. I need a level of convenience in food in this way, in this way. Right. Like, and then I started asking what other needs I need someone to help me organize or unpack my house, right. These things that I air quote can do by myself, hands down, 
very easy, but these things mentally were just dragging. <laughs> I could not, it almost felt paralyzing. And these things are easy, right? Like you said. So when you ask yourself, like, what is it that I need? I'm like, I need help with this. And uh, as, as I kind of put that into the universe and I prayed about it and I kind of just released the expectation of it. I mean, I found carpools. I found a way to, you know, convenience my food this week. I got, I had two people come over and just out of nowhere volunteered to unpack my house for me. And someone came over yesterday, my cousin, she's like, can I just clean? Can you lay there on the couch? And can I clean? And this is how God works in my life in so many different ways, because they, they knew I needed help. These are incredible people who are incredible supports for me, but these little things that they feel so weighty when, when you're in it. Right. And those just, I feel like I'm 10 pounds lighter just from people doing those things for me. Well, and isn't that such a beautiful way to know that God is attuned to you? Yes. Yes. Because I want to argue with him all the time about this. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is what I want. And God gives me what I need. It's kind of what we do in our coaching client relationships as well. Right. Yeah. And I just want to speak to what you said about asking for help. There is a form of trauma where if for a long time, maybe you're from a large family, you couldn't express your needs. Like anytime you spoke up, you mm -hmm. were overlooked, you weren't listened to. That could be happening if you really struggle with asking for help, because sometimes we are given the signal that our needs are bad. Yes. Or they can't be met or like. It, it could be a variety of things. Go ahead. Right. So just mindfulness around that, because one way of thinking of perfectionism is perfectionism is an inability to let other people see their needs, mm -hmm. right? Everything has to be perfect. Nobody can see behind the scenes and how messy my house is or whatever, because right. of what I fear other people will think, but there's also this, like, I can't speak up. Like I, I have worked with clients who physically can't say the thing. I know it's, right? it's pretty interesting to observe. Uh-huh. Continue yeah. on the other end of that spectrum is like, I overshare and I say anything to everyone. Right. And so there's this continuum of speaking up, being able to speak up, feeling safe to speak up, communicating those needs. And what was the message you got probably from your parents, right? could also be from like other early relationships. If every time you were like, mom, I need you to do fill in the blank. And she was like, okay, I'll do that later. Yeah. You start to learn, oh, I shouldn't even say it. Right. Or I can't, it's not okay to have that need for some reason. Right. Mm -hmm. So I do think that's such a huge thing that we should move toward is speaking our needs, asking for help all of that. But for some people that's going to feel really heavy. Yeah. And can we, I want to ask you this question because that for me still feels heavy to ask for what I need. And some of it is because, well, what did they say? No. Right. So I want to speak to this as an adult versus a child, because I know that's a, that's a childlike response to fear the word. No. Yeah. Right. And so I just don't ask ahead of time because I don't want them to say no, or I'm afraid they're going to say no, or I'm afraid they're not going to want to meet the needs that are important to me. 
Yeah. Is that true of your relationship with your parents? Wait, are you asking, did that start in the relationship with my parents? Like, yeah. Were you afraid that your parents would say no? You didn't want them to say no. Oh yeah. They said no. They said no a lot. I mean, I don't. And what happened when they said no? What was the repercussion or the consequence? When they said no, I'm trying to think because, you know, most of my, I still, for those who have not heard me say, say this before, it's hard. I don't remember most of my childhood. I just remember being told no. And I, and I have a rebellious side to me. Like, what do you mean? No, <laughs> you can't tell rebellious me rebellious no. side. She has her whole body is rebellious. <laughs> Everything is rebellious. Like you can't tell me what to do. You can't No. What does that mean? Yeah. I, I, I don't really rebel, have a lot of then then you probably got punished, right? Yeah, but I think the punishment came from me doing it anyways or sneaking around it because I I, I wish I had an example. I'm really trying to think back to the memories of early, my early childhood because the no's came around from like things that I wanted to do, right? Like, or things that I, I wanted to be on a club soccer team and no, you can't, we couldn't afford it. Right. Though it wasn't, I, we can talk about my past marriage because that's a little bit where I felt like I asked for needs. That's kind of where I, I learned this for myself, where, where he wasn't wanting or able to even meet those needs when I asked things yeah. from him. What happens either in this, your past marriage or people today, when you ask for something and they say, no, how do you feel? rejected. Yeah. So that's the feeling that you really hate. Yes. Right. Some people would feel disappointed, confused. Like it doesn't, it's not, not everybody feels rejected from the no, Mm -hmm. right. But rejection is the feeling that you are very much trying to avoid. It is. And then sometimes because, you know, as coaches, I have all of the mindset tools to talk me out of rejection. I go to this place of, well, no, isn't a problem. Like, right. I just try to talk myself out of the feeling, then just sit and process the rejection. I mean, do you have any thoughts about that? I mean, my thoughts are that mindset is to help us with awareness, right? Mm -hmm. Mindset can be really valuable to helping you notice your patterns, notice what your needs are. That's where mindset can be so valuable when you're already feeling a feeling And then you're using mindset to try to get yourself out of it. I'm like, that's not really the purpose of mindset. No, not at all. (laughs) Right. So that just goes to show how much you really don't like feeling that feeling, that rejection feeling. Yes, I can see that. I can see that. It's just a yucky feeling. Yeah. So you'll dance around it. You'd rather not ask than feel rejected. And And I think some of my journey too is like, oh, I should be able to meet my own needs, right? Like I've learned how to, and I've done it thus, this far. And, and I don't know how much that's worked against me at this phase of my life, but I can see like how trying to meet my own needs is also avoiding rejection to some degree. Yeah. I mean, it's a form of like hyper-independence or perfectionism, right? It's Mm -hmm not being willing to truly see those needs and meet them. It's like, I'll just do it all. But what happens? You get overwhelmed or stressed. So it's just so fascinating to be like, I would rather feel overwhelmed or stressed than rejected. 
Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for saying that. I'm going to write that down because it's true. You said overwhelmed or what was the other one? Or stressed. Or stress, yeah. I, you know, some of it too is that my nervous system is a little bit wired to feel comfortable in overwhelm and stress, but rejection, like I literally feel like I'm dying. So <laughs> it kind of makes sense. Like I'm choosing this familiar hell, right? Even though rejection feels like hell in my body, it's just a harder one to navigate, to get to know, to understand, to love and appreciate about this part of me that fears that feeling. Well, and my guess is like as a baby or a toddler, when parents didn't come, you felt rejected. Right. Absolutely. I mean, my parents love to joke around about how I was the absolute worst baby in the world. I was the colicky baby for 18 months straight. So I hear these stories. I'm like, oh, as you're saying this, I mean, for all anyone who had a colicky baby, that is just hard. Like you don't know, ever know what to do. And, and you're not ever trying to purposely reject your baby. It's just like, you're done. Like you yeah. it, you cannot, it's so past your capacity sometimes. Right. And this is where I would say, it's not about the rupture. That's right. That's kind of a rupture, right? When mom is at her limit, she mm-hmm. has needs as well. I just got to put the baby in the crib and walk away for the baby's safety. Right. Right. Like, right. Still alive. There's, you know, obviously, ideally we would have extended family, like, okay, I'm tapping out, you tap in, mm-hmm, but it's mm-hmm. really like, give yourself some grace there. It, I'm just here. I'm seeing all the parents listening to this and being like, yes. oh no, I can't ever leave my baby. It's not about that. It's about what happens when you come back to the baby, right? The repair. Absolutely. Right. And so absolutely, that can be really healing the thing that probably happened with you and I is that there never was repair. Right. Right. There was all these ruptures over and over and over again, and no true repair, no repair that matched the magnitude of the rupture. So, you know, relying on our network, on our resources, right. If you're one Mm -hmm. of the lucky ones to have extended family, like, we're meant to live in communities where we're with our moms and dads and grandparents and aunties and uncles and cousins. We're not really right. meant to live the way we live in our culture, which is just so isolated. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that we kind of ended on that note because the rupture and repair cycle, I think that that's going to probably be another podcast to be able to talk about that cycle and the importance of it, because that's just, that's seasons, right? That's part of the complexity of being human and our growth and everything that we do. Um, and thank you for actually sharing what you did and being able to show up and give all of the examples that you did today. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience today before we end this call? Well, I just was thinking of this last weekend, I went to a corn maze, pumpkin patch oh my goodness. event <laughs> near my house and so many moms with toddlers and babies and screaming toddlers. Right. Yes. And I have such a different view. Like my husband was going, Oh, I don't miss those days screaming toddlers, but I was just like, and I didn't say this out loud, but I was just like, I would do it so differently. Right. Yeah. Cause now I look at those screaming toddlers and I'm just like, Oh, you're just really dysregulated and you have needs and I'm not meeting your needs. I'm making it about me as mom. Right. And I'm just yeah. like, we just got to get to the car and like get this kid in the car seat and fall asleep, whatever. Right. And so I'm just seeing all these parents 
and how they're completely overlooking the fact that their babies have needs. And if you just slow down and say, oh, what do you need? Usually that the rupture can be repaired very easily. I think this is also true in all of our relationships, right? We want to try to be attuned, but when somebody acts out in a way and you're like, oh, what's up? I don't know what's going on. I tend to go automatically now because I've trained myself mm-hmm. to, oh, I wonder what they need. Right. Whereas before, when I was this angry, frustrated mom, I was like, why can't I get my kids to, you know, do whatever. Right. And I just, I just, I just want to offer that, that like, you can view all the things that you see are wrong with the world. Um, the things that you wish people would change about, it's just a bid for, I have a need and I don't know how to meet it. Yeah. I feel like it's so much more, um, open and less personal and, you know, less triggering to think of things that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as I have created and, and done a lot of work around healing trauma and regulated my nervous system, I too have that viewpoint, right? I would go back and do things differently. I would be with my screaming child probably a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, even now, like I, it's still, I'm dysregulated all the time with the ages of my kids being pulled in multiple directions. And it's a practice every single day, just like, what do I need? What do they need? And sometimes it's, they have to go in their room and scream. And sometimes I have to go in my room and scream, right? It's, yes. but it's less judgment. So and I think that's the beautiful part of doing the work and healing the relationship that you have with yourself and the trauma that you've experienced in your life so that you can be attuned to the needs that you have and the needs of other people, because it's, it's one, it's, it's one in the same. It's not, you can't just do it for others and not yourself. Like the blessings come from understanding that the importance of both, because we're not meant to be alone. We're here. Yeah, we're all connected. We are all connected. So thank you, Danita, so much for your beautiful words of wisdom. And thank you for all those who had joined us this day and or today. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.